if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, sir, it is. Good morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're rolling on this free for all Friday edition of the Authority. It is the ninth morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2021. It's going to be less of a free for all and more of a free to listen to some very important people this morning. I've got a very, very strong guest list, which I will tell you after we pause and start our program today with our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are not driving, please stand. If you are driving, uh, please try not to kneel during the Pledge of the pledge of Allegiance, and you know who you are. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I kind of joke every day to start the show with the Pledge of Allegiance that patriots, if you're driving, just put your hand on your heart. You don't have to stand for this. Uh, you know, obviously you can't stand when you're driving, but then my friend Khalid Namar, who's going to be in for me next Friday, by the way, one, one week from today, um, te- texted me and said, you're just intentionally trolling uh, America haters, far leftists who are driving right now and can't kneel when they hear that national anthem, aren't you? Yes, I guess, uh, I suppose in some ways I am. Uh, on the program this morning, we are loaded up, and I mean, this uh, coming up at 935 former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker also former uh, candidate for the Republican nomination for president Scott Walker now president of Young America's Foundation is going to join us at 935 to talk about fighting the cancel culture and trying to stop our children from being destroyed before their lives even get started and it's literally that serious that is not hyperbole. That's not an overstatement. Kids are having their futures destroyed before they even begin by cancel culture and forced uh, ideological uh, thoughts uh, being, you know, in other words, indoctrination being forced upon them. So, nine thirty-five. Former Governor Scott Walker, ten ten. You better believe it. We're going to do it. Ohio Senate candidate Jane Timken. 
I have been critical of Jane Timken, as you know, in her, her role as uh, chair of the Ohio Republican Party. Uh, but she wants to come on and talk about her campaign for Senate. And I said, let's do this. That's happening at 1010. I'm looking forward to that conversation. And you should be as well. Then at 1035, as it is Friday, it's our regular time slot for Ohio former Ohio State Representative Christina Hagan, who's going to join us to talk about a whole host of issues. We're going to start this morning with Joe Biden's attack on the Second Amendment announced yesterday. Uh, let's just say, state this the way that it is. Joe Biden is caving into, and I don't know how he has felt historically about the Second Amendment, but as president, he is far, far, far more left than anybody ever thought he would be. Um, well, at least if people weren't paying attention. Joe Biden had a reputation as being a moderate Democrat, at least compared to you know avowed socialist Bernie Sanders and wild leftists, uh, you know, on, in both of the Demo- or both of the Democratic controlled chambers of Congress. Now, Joe Biden was supposed to be the moderate. Joe Biden has been governing now for seventy plus days as the most wild leftist president the United States has ever seen. Yes, more so than Barack Obama, and that's in large part, I think according to some people, because Barack Obama is kind of behind the curtains pulling the strings here on uh, for Joe Biden anyway. But nonetheless, Biden's radical leftism is remarkable. It's a remarkable thing to behold in every aspect from uh, taxing and governmental overreach uh, to, you know, uh, the border, border, I shouldn't even say border control. It's the opposite. It's out of control. The chaos at the border the intention to legalize and put 20 million illegal aliens on a pathway to citizenship. I mean, it's just radical. And now, of course, his attack on the Second Amendment just fits right in with his radical agenda. He has made it clear what he wants to do now. He is going to take away your rights to own certain types of firearms to start, and then probably beyond that into the rest of the firearms. The White House boasted yesterday that that Biden was nominating a fierce advocate of gun control, David Chipman, to be the chief of the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Agency, ATF. Chipman is a fierce gun control advocate, which means he is a gun rights and Second Amendment opponent. And he is so dedicated to banning assault weapons that... He lied last year, just openly and brazenly, about the 1993 federal assault at Waco. We all remember what happened with the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas in 1993, right? He claimed that the government was right to do what they did because the Branch Davidians shot down two National Guard helicopters that were assaulting their home. Chipman was an ATF case agent at the 1994 trial of the Branch Davidian survivors. So he had no excuse whatsoever for tossing out this anti-gun fairy tale. No helicopters were shot down at all. There were some that were shot at because they were actually assaulting the compound. But that's, that's not the only reason to be worried about what Joe Biden did yesterday by nominating this guy, uh, appointing uh, David uh, David Chipman. Perhaps the biggest problem here, and I'm going to combine two of Biden's executive order announcements yesterday into one, is that Joe Biden believes that a national red flag law, which is something he signed as an executive order yesterday, national red flag laws would entitle police to preemptively confiscate the guns of anyone who is accused of being a threat to himself or others. Red flag laws just 
completely erase, eliminate, destroy, crush, due process. All it takes is a family member or friend or somebody who knows you to call authorities and say, I think this guy's dangerous because I think he's angry or I think he's depressed. I think he's sad. I think he's this, that, the other thing. Take his guns. That's all it takes for a court case to be filed, and then the police will come and take those guns. Forget about Fourth Amendment. Forget about search and seizure protections. They will come and take your guns, and then it will be up to you to go to court, hire a lawyer, and prove to the court that you're not a danger to yourself or others, and plea and spend Lord knows how much money in legal fees to get your own privately owned guns back. That's what red flag laws are. You know this by now. Now, I said I was going to combine these. I'm going to combine the push for the red flag law yesterday by executive order with the appointment of David Chipman as uh, the chief of the Alcohol, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Agency. First, let's just listen to Joe Biden uh, explain why he has chosen this individual. Today, I'm proud to nominate David Chipman to serve as a director of the AFT. David knows the AFT well. Today, there, <laughs> that's all I wanted you to hear. This is why he picked this guy because he knows an agency that Don, or that um, Joe Biden can't even can't even remember what it is. Joe Biden cannot say ATF. He said AFT not once but twice. And you may say think that's minor, and it kind of is minor. But it isn't minor in the fact that he has just appointed somebody who has worked with the AFT, who believes that the alcohol uh, AFT, I'm going to continue to call it AFT for, for Joe Biden's sake here, that has worked with AFT in the siege at Waco, and that they were right to do so. They were right to attack this compound of religious zealots who, by all accounts, were breaking no laws whatsoever when the Clinton administration and the, the department, the uh, uh, DOJ decided to go in there and, and, and wage that terrible assault that took the lives of children and women and more. He supported and defended that while working with the AFT, as Joe Biden now calls it. But the real issue here is that David Chipman, new chief of AFT, all right, I'll go back to normal now, the ATF, David Chipman believes that did you, did you see the movie? Do you recall the Tom Cruise movie Minority Report? He believes that American citizens should be able to be arrested before they commit crimes because committing a crime is going to be imminent in his world, in his mind. Now, what am I talking about specifically? I, I, if you remember Minority Report, they used to, in the sci-fi realm that Minority Report was written in, they had these precogs, these these human beings who had precognitive abilities. You know, they were able to see the future and foretell the future, and they kept them in like a vegetative state, and they just basically inputted input information into their brains, and then their brains processed what was going to happen in the future, and they say, "Oh, this person is going to kill so and so at this particular point in time," and then they would go and arrest this person uh, for you know for a pre-crime because they they were going to commit this crime, and now we're going to stop them by arresting them. Right? That's the Minority Report element to this. Now. Let's bring it to reality. Take away the science fiction part of this. Let's bring it to reality. David Chipman once tweeted. No, I beg your pardon. Not tweeted. Commented on Reddit. I'm not a Reddit user, so I had to kind of figure this out. But he posted on Reddit what some people would post on Twitter or Facebook. The following. And this was just last year. This isn't some 20-year-old message. All right? This is last year. 
the guy who's now in charge of ATF, alcohol, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, messaged on Reddit the following. While at ATF, I conducted studies involving people who failed background checks to determine how many later committed crimes with a gun. Many did. This is a perfect opportunity to arrest people before committing crimes rather than responding after the fact. CNN even reported on this. And then there was a link. Now, I want you to make sure you understood what I just said clearly. He said that studies have been done that show that many people who failed background checks in their applications for a gun license failed background checks later on committed crimes with a gun. Therefore, in his mind, what should be done is that when somebody fails a background check, they should be arrested. Arrest them for crime that they might commit later on because a study showed that some people who actually failed background checks did go on to commit gun crimes. So if we see somebody apply for a gun permit and we see that person turned down because of a background check failure, we should arrest that person and hold them in perpetuity so that they can't go and acquire a gun illegally and then commit a gun crime. This is worse than Minority Report. At least in the Hollywood movie... At least they had in the sci-fi world the precogs at least kind of foretelling the future before they went and violated somebody's rights, before they went and, and arrested them for a pre-crime. Here in David Chipman and Joe Biden's world, we don't even have the benefit of the precogs. It's just that, well, some people in the past have, vi- have failed background checks and then gone on to get guns anyway and committed gun crimes. Therefore, we will punish, penalize, and restrict Americans from their Second Amendment rights. And quite frankly, their, their, all of their rights. We're going to arrest them and take away their freedom for something that they might do because history has shown that other people have done. So when I said I was going to combine two of Joe, Joe Biden's gun executive orders yesterday into one, This is an unholy alliance. Red flag laws already strip due process from anybody accused by a family member or close friend who wants to report them as being potentially unstable, as as being potentially a threat or a danger to themselves or others. That's what red flag laws do. And Joe Biden, just by executive order, said that will be the national rule going forward, the national order going forward. If you know somebody that you think that has a gun, that you think is a danger to himself or others for whatever reason, you can go to the authorities, go to the police, there will be a court case filed, and that person will have to come and prove the fitness that they have to get their guns back. That's dangerous enough. And then when you add to this somebody in charge of firearms in the United States, to the extent that they are the chief of the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, and their belief is that people should not only, you you don't even have to wait for somebody to report them as being a danger to themselves. Let's take that a step further. Let's actually arrest them if they fail a background report or a background check because then we know that they're going to go out and commit a crime later on and we're going to get out in front of that. We're going to stop the crime from being committed before it ever is committed, rather than responding to it after the fact. I can't begin to describe the danger of this. And this was all brought on 
by the Biden administration, the supposed moderate, who was going to come in and, and kind of bring a sense of normalcy to the White House and to the country after the radical, wild Trump years. We're going to bring normalcy into play. Does this sound like normal to you? I can tell you what it doesn't sound like to me. It doesn't sound like America. It's 921. We'll be right back. Okay, 926. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer, let's take a call or two here. Again, opportunities for calls are going to be very, very few and far between this morning as we have former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker coming on at 935. Then we'll have uh, former ORP Chair Jane Timken, now a Senate candidate at 1010. Then uh, we'll talk to... um, Christina Hagan, uh, former Ohio State rep at 1035. So you're going to have to pick your spots here to get in and be heard this morning at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Let's go to Richfield. That's where Derek's hanging out on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Derek. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, so when you're talking about this, this pre-crime, you know, actually a few years ago I had heard about this. I think the FBI, it's called, um, <clears throat> the acronym is FAST. And it stands for Future Attributes Screening Technology. And, yeah, it's basically software. Um, and it's very chilling, the idea they just use a computer to um, basically, you know, look into the future and predict human behavior, you know, as if there are no variables with that. But, um, but, I'll, but then, so with a... I, I think that was just a background check, though, wasn't it? Wasn't FAST just basically a background check? It's kind of similar to what we're talking about that already exists. Uh, I know they put a fancy acronym on it, but it was just basically a way of seeing what somebody's background is to see if they may indeed be a danger. That's what anybody who gets a gun and applies for a permit uh, has to go through is this background check. Just be- And the purpose for that is to see, is there anything in your background that would indicate that you shouldn't have a gun because you may commit a crime or you may do something dangerous later on? That's what background checks are for. I don't, I, that's very different than actually saying we're going to act on somebody uh, you know, based on what we predict they might do, we're going to arrest them ahead of time, which is what Biden's guy here is, has uh, has suggested as recently as last year. Um, it, it, it may be, but like I said, I mean, it actually, like I said, what it stands is future attribute screening technology. As far as what I when I heard about it a few years ago, I I got the impression you know, it was basically like predictive modeling um, for what people will actually. Do, um, but, yeah, no, I get um, it. I get it. But it, but but that my point of that is it's based on their background. That's kind of the point. It's based on my background. Right. What 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 can you potentially see that I might do if I'm able to have a firearm? You know, it's it's kind of, that that's kind of like I said. What background checks are for? If I have a felony on my back in my background, well, I definitely can't get a gun. If I've got you know a, a number of other things and I don't have a list of them in my history, then they can you know reasonably think that it's probably unsafe for me to hold a gun or to have a gun. And so that is predictive in that regard, but it's different than you know saying we're going to try to arrest somebody for pre-crime. Um, right, and, and just um, well, I was calling just from Joe Biden's uh, announced you know speech uh-huh. yesterday. Uh, uh-huh. So you now we have to give him some credit. You know, uh, it was uh, you know at least AFC was a lot closer than um, than you know not even being able to name the Pentagon. You know, he was 
you know, okay, he at least got at least got the letters right, even though they were mixed up. You know, <laughs> maybe next we'll be getting we'll be getting FIB instead of the FBI, or you know, as long as the AI. You know, as long as I mean, it's still there. But um, and but then what I found was uh, was interesting was that he actually said, and I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. Didn't he actually say that you know the top or leading uh, cause of death among African American males was homicide and but wouldn't elaborate why is why is and where is it that that kind of violence and gang violence is happening in those obvious that we most of us know those big cities that are democratic control that have already had those gun control measures in place so how are these gangs and criminals and violence still are these people still getting the guns there right and and that's the key to the whole thing exactly right criminals don't get their guns legally criminals get their guns illegally they get them from the black market they buy them with with serial numbers numbers filed off etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean we you know we don't have to rehash the whole thing this is what they do if you are a criminal and if you've got a felony on your record if you're a known gang member or a gang associate associate your your background check will indeed deny you a right to get a gun so rather than get one legally or rather than being denied getting one legally and going darn i can't have a gun since law says i can by their very nature, criminals commit crimes, and they say, the hell with it then. I'll go get one illegally, and that's what they use to shoot one another with. Um, Derek, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. That is spot on. Loved that, by the way. Waiting for the day that Joe Biden starts talking about the FIB, the FIB. Uh, <laughs> FIB director, uh, or, or former uh, FIB uh, 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 deputy director, Andrew McCabe. I can see it now. The CAI. Yeah, we got a CAI director who says... <laughs> I, I, it sh- we shouldn't laugh at the guy with his dementia, but he kind of makes it hard to feel sorry for him to be a thousand percent honest with you here. It, it really is difficult to to cut this guy any slack. And you're right. He did not know what the Pentagon was called, and he did not know the man in charge of it, the man that he appointed uh, secretary of the Department of Defense. And there's nobody who's going to tell us any different. All right, let's get a time out here. News now. Scott Walker, former Wisconsin governor, now president, not of the United States. But of YAF, he'll join us next. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed 936. We continue now on AM 1420. For 60 years, YAF has been committed to inspiring young people with conservative values, transforming campus culture, and defending free speech rights. The left is stepping up their efforts to go after young people and to reach them sooner with radical levels of indoctrination. What we're seeing now didn't happen overnight. The left started its takeover of our colleges and culture over a half century ago. And this new administration is working overtime to complete the destruction of everything we hold dear. The destruction of everything we hold dear. I don't think that's hyperbolic. I think that is spot on. Those are the words of former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, who joins us now as president of Young America's Foundation. Uh, Governor Walker, good to talk to you. What do I call you? Governor or President Walker now? I don't know. President of the YAF, right? <laughs> you can call me anything as long as it's not late for dinner. <laughs> well, Governor, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Governor because it's protocol, I think. Uh, thank you for the time today. Um, uh, so glad to see that you are taking over as the president of YF. My daughter is a uh, member of the YF chapter at Hillsdale in Michigan, uh, and she's oh, very yeah, she's very enthusiastic about it. It is doing such important work. 
to the point that you just made there in that that video presentation talking about the uh, uh, the plan moving forward, the long game. Um, these kids aren't just being touched at the college level now and not even at the high school level. I talk about this on a regular basis. The indoctrination is starting really from K through 8 now. This is something uh, that they have expanded that makes it even much more dangerous in terms of the indoctrination, the cancel culture, the division, the historical revision or the uh, uh, re- historical revision of, a, of, of this country's founding and so on and so forth. They're getting these kids at their youngest ages. That's what we have to find. Right, right? Oh, absolutely. They're teaching our kids to hate America. I mean, the whole 1619 Project, the whole premise that is how awful our founders were and the country's based on racism and all sorts of other crap out there. The, the bottom line is we've got we've to reach down and, and counter that. Uh, we cannot concede any battle because this is not just the battle of the day. This is really about the war for the heart and soul of our republic. But I, I'll give you one good example, not just the 1619 Project, which I'm sure your listeners are well aware of. But we have a tip line at, at uh, YAF, and, in fact, somebody's got a tip, yf.org slash tips. We get them all the time. We expose, as you can imagine, the left-wing professors and crazy policies on campus and free speech violations. But one of them earlier this year was from Iowa State, so not San Francisco, not New York City, but from right here in the middle of the country. Uh, we got a tip at Iowa State, not about the campus, but about the local school district. They were partnering for Black History Month with BLM, and they had a curriculum that went from preschool all the way till 12th grade. And get this, for the preschoolers and the kindergartners, they had coloring pages with characters who were transgender and telling the kids that they could pick whether they wanted to be a boy or a girl or something in between. This is how young they're going to indoctrinate folks all across the very radical liberal spectrum out there. You know, the sad reality is they should be teaching those kids how to how to play and how to start to read and, and, and things like that. But no, never mind that. They're, they're training activists, uh, not, not students here. And this just shows you why we're initiating right now this long game proposal to counter not just that, but all the way through school with culture, with even the censorship we see from big tech. We've got to be in it for the long game. Well, let's talk about that. And I love the fact that this program you launched uh, about two and a half weeks ago or so is called The Long Game. The video that I just played a clip from was the explanation of some of the uh, the, uh, the tenets uh, featured in The Long Game. Tell us, long Game. Tell us how this was developed and tell us in a nutshell or in a summary version of what The Long Game does. Yeah, it's a 12-point action plan. In fact, if people want it, I'll send you a free copy today. All you got to do is go to yaf.org slash longgame. That's yf.org slash long game. And it's really taking the good work that we're doing. You mentioned uh, the YAF chapter at, Yale, at Hillsdale. We've got chapters and members all across the country. In fact, in total, we're supporting students over 2,000 campuses. But we looked at what we're doing, which we do well, and said, that's not enough. We've got to be in all 4,000 campuses, not just half of them, all 4,000. We've got to reach a million more students. We've got to go to where students are and not only bring more speakers and more ideas, campus but we've got to reach them even where they're at when they're not on campus which in in our data and research is overwhelmingly on youtube so we're going to reach a billion more students through views on youtube with five million more subscribers uh to yaf tv which is our youtube channel and then we got to go beyond just college in the high school but the younger ages Governor, if I may, I just want to hit real quick on YouTube, then you can continue talking about those 12 points. Sure, yeah. Um, 
Why YouTube? YouTube has been notorious. I know you are so fighting as a part of YAF cancel culture. YouTube is canceling conservative channels all over the place, including Dennis Prager's Prager University, which are just so incredibly benign, these five-minute videos, and I'm sure you're familiar with little animated videos talking about things in very easy-to-understand terms. They've been banned by YouTube. YouTube has just canceled and removed so many things. So for do you think you'll be able to grow and expand your, your subscribers that you're talking about on this channel or on rather this service this platform considering their their cancellation of other conservatives and secondly why would you want to why give them the attention youtube is owned by google which is also notoriously uh you know part of the cancel culture and part of the control of what we see um i'm just wondering if there aren't better video services maybe that we we could go uh with the long game you know into well, and that's part of that's another one of our points is to create a, a separate digital outlet going forward. So we have a long game plan, but in the short term, um, you know, our our view is we can't concede any battles anywhere. We've got to fight them everywhere, as well as having a long term plan to make that 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 transfer. You mentioned PragerU; they're actually a partner with us. We just did a, a whole cancel culture session earlier this uh, this past year with uh, with Dennis. Prager and with uh, Ben Shapiro and others talking mm-hmm. about this very topic on cancel culture. So for us, it's not an either or. Uh, it's the same reason why I'm on Parler, but I'm still fighting on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else, because I'm not going to concede a battle anywhere, anytime, anyhow. And until we can move massive numbers of people, young people in particular, off of YouTube, we just know that's where the data shows that they're at. So it's long, and we're not conceding what we put up there. We're we're putting up some of the best conservative speakers that we have on campus. And what we found was this last year, there was tremendous growth because I think students not only want to hear the speakers, uh, but see them on their own tablet or iPhone or whatever it might be, but actually in particular hear speakers on campus take really radical questions or questions, I should say, from really radical students and TAs and others and respond to them. That's the one thing that we've seen that really, particularly on campus, is why students are so interested in these speakers, is they want to see how they handle the same crap they have to deal with in the classroom, at the dorm, uh, oftentimes even in their social media, and be able to push back on that. And I've heard increasingly, not only from students, but even from their parents and others who say, I love hearing this stuff because my coworkers, my friends on Facebook, whatever it might be, are pushing the same thing. So our view is we're going to fight. Uh, we're going to fight in every battle on every front, knowing that for us it's the long game war we've got to win, and we're not conceding anything. But we're also looking for alternative ways, like we're doing with Parler and social media, to do something similar in terms of a digital platform uh, to get our information out over the long haul uh, to not only our students but to persuadable students that we think uh, the left is targeting that we need to win back. We are talking with the former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. He is the president of the Amer- of the uh, Young Americans um, uh, uh, Foundation. Excuse me. Um, it, it, the work that you're no, doing. You're right. There's actually two different. That's not uh, uh, unusual in the sense that Young Americans for Freedom is the chapter. For example, your daughter be involved with. Uh, that's the name on chapter Young Americans Foundation, the overall parent group. But in either case, and we're partnering with others: the Alliance for Defending Freedom, College Republicans, Students for Life. We know we've got to be in this together because the left, they march lockstep. We've got to not have infighting amongst the movement and instead figure out ways how we work together to counter, again, not only in college, but even all the way down to getting junior high students greater access and even countering and giving parents tools 
uh, to help even when their kids are in, ele- in elementary school to counter the radicalization we see even starting to happen in those young, young ages. I'm I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, I do. I sometimes trip over these uh, abbreviations and these acronyms because there are so many. For example, here in the state of Ohio, you know, we have Ohio Stands Up, which is fighting to, uh, you know, restore our rights that have been taken from us in terms of the COVID policies that have been passed and uh, or that have been uh, ordered and so forth. And then there's Ohio's Freedom Foundation, the Coalition for Ohio, blah, blah, blah. They're all so many of them. But, Governor, that's a good thing, right? The fact that there are so many small grassroots activist organizations that are popping up saying we're not going to sit here and watch it happen and watch the destruction of our culture, watch the indoctrination of our children, and watch everything that this republic was built upon be taken away from us. We're not going to sit and just complain about it or listen to talk radio. We're going to be active. That's a very positive thing that there are so many of these groups, isn't it? I think it's a great thing, and I think that the, the only caveat I take away from that and the thing we push in the long game is we just got to make sure we're working together. The the example I give is my dad is with the Lord now, but he was a pastor at a small-town church for many, many years. My wife and I and our family go to a, a much, much bigger evangelical church now. And I said uh, to me, someone asked, "What's is one better than the other? I said, no, until until the world is not filled with people who need to go to church. Uh, it, to me, I don't care whether it's big or small, uh, various denominations, there's enough of a demand for people who need to go to church. And the same thing's true here. To me, whether it's this group or that group, as long as we're not fighting with each other, as long as we're not trying to pull uh, students from one or conservatives from one group to the other, but rather saying, hey, let's work together. And that's, that's been our record. That's been our tradition. We want to do even more of that. Uh, you know, on some campuses, it might be a YF chapter. and another campus, it might be a conservative group that we work with to bring speakers in. On another campus, it might be the college Republicans or the Students for Life, mm-hmm. the left is uniform. We see it all the time. They walk in march, you know, lockstep. Uh, we've got to counter that, and we've got to be working together with the ultimate goal being we have to fight for the heart and soul of this republic. I should stay at work and fight about this. The question about that, though, the question about that, Governor, Governor, though, is who gets to kind of set the agenda? Because you're right when you say the Democrat groups kind of march in lockstep. The Republican groups, a lot of different people, a lot of different leaders, a lot of different volunteers have very different ideas about the way that we need to, uh, you know, that we need to proceed. Um, so it, it's kind of hard, I think, for everybody to say, here is our agenda. This is the way we're going to go about it, and everybody else fall in line behind it. It seems like there's a lot of generals and maybe not enough foot soldiers. Oh, I think there's some truth to that. That's why part of what we do at YF is not. You know, we're a 501c3. What that means is we're a nonprofit. We don't lobby. We don't campaign. There are other groups who do that well, and that's in their wheelhouse. We talk about fundamentals. And so I think there's a unique time right now, um, not in the midst of a campaign, be it nationally or for others right in the thick of it, to be getting back to the basics, to talk about what does it mean to be a conservative. Um, I tell students all the time, that the uh, you know the difference here isn't just Republican or Democrat, conservative, liberal. It's really at its core the difference between people whose ultimate goal is socialism, where the government controls your life, tells you what to do, when to do, and how to do it, and those of us who believe in freedom, who put our faith in the individual and in the family. The more we can get to the core of that, I think particularly for young people, but for anyone, uh, one of the big mistakes I've seen made in this past year all across the country has been this idea that the that the uh, ultimately the government tells us what to do instead of telling us why things are important. We've seen it. You've certainly seen it in your state. 
Uh, we've seen it across the country. We've seen it in plenty of cities where instead of saying, hey, we've got a, we've got a health issue, we've got to deal with it, we know that different people in different parts of the state or in different professions are going to deal with it differently. No, they've had a one-size-fits-all approach that really puts their faith in the government. Mm-hmm. I think that's an eye-opener. I think there's a tremendous opportunity, particularly for reaching blue-collar uh, working America, the men and women like my brother and sister-in-law who had to work every single week since the first 15 days who've been at work because if they didn't go to work, they don't get a paycheck and they don't pay the bills and they can't pay their mortgage or their rent. Those individuals know that the people like us who are conservatives have argued and advocated for their businesses being open, their schools being open, their communities being open, still doing it safely. Those on the left have oftentimes put their faith in the government Mm-hmm. And there's a real disconnect there. And I think we have a tremendous opportunity to tell that message to people. Then individual groups like you talked about can talk about specific policies. But we've got to, at its core, explain the why before we can get into the what. Uh, I think that's very well explained, uh, Governor Walker. Last question for you. This is kind of a personal slash professional one. Is this your future? Is this your new career in activism like this? Because as a former presidential candidate, as well, of course, being governor of Wisconsin, I have to wonder, uh, is elected office at all in your future? Well, the beauty is I'm a quarter century younger than Joe Biden. <laughs> so I got, <laughs> a lot I, of got time. I got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. But right now, seriously, not only feeling that this is God's calling, put me here but but even from you know the standpoint of a uh, a former and maybe someday future candidate although well down the road um we don't win in states like wisconsin if we don't change uh, where young people are headed today if we don't open their eyes to the common sense conservative ideas that have made this country great and i believe will going forward it doesn't matter who's running in wisconsin or many other battleground states in america because as this next generation grows, we, we have we've failed largely with millennials. We've got to make sure that Generation Z, the young people who are in college and younger today, hear the truth, get the facts, understand what being a conservative, believing in freedom and opportunity for all really needs, and starkly contrast that with those who put their faith in the government. Um, if, we don't, if we fail to make that case, we're really on the wrong path. I believe I'm an optimist. Reagan made me not only a conservative but an optimist. I believe this is the most important work I can be involved with right now, and I hope people will join us. And if you're interested, yaf.org slash longgame. We'll send you a copy if you're a student, you know a student, you support a student, or you just want to help the cause. Join us in this effort. It's a fight we can't lose. Well, you're right. We can't, and we do do need to net as many of those um, Gen Z kids in now and get them to be a part of this movement, which is exactly why YAF is so important. Governor Walker, thank you so very much for your time. Keep up the great work, sir, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Keep fighting for freedom. You better believe we will. Thank you, sir. All right, that's Governor Scott Walker, former governor of Wisconsin, now president of YAF, Young America's Foundation. Important information there. Let's get a timeout and come back on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 9.57 now. 
We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. It's a packed free-for-all Friday, which kind of means it's not really free-for-all, but uh, it is free to listen. 216-901-0945 if you do want to call, and 888 you got to pick your shots before and after interviews. Uh, thanks again to Governor Scott Walker, who was just on with us. Coming up after the top of the hour, very much looking forward to speaking with the former chair of the Ohio Republican Party and now candidate for Rob Portman's soon-to-be-vacant Senate seat, Jane Temkin. Uh, I have not been thrilled with the Republican Party in the state of Ohio. You know this. I do not believe that the ORP did enough to head off the damage done when our Republican governor, you know, followed far too much of the advice of the Democrat health director, the walking, mumbling, bumbling lab coat, Amy Acton. I felt like the ORP uh, just didn't do enough uh, to consult, uh, to counsel rather, and consult with the governor or with the massively Republican-dominated General Assembly. And we had Republicans in the General Assembly sitting by and watching the Republican governor destroy the economy of this state, not to mention the schools and the children and so forth. Uh, I don't think the ORP did enough to really help the uh, Republican you know, consolidation of power in the state of Ohio do the right things. So uh, Jane Timken was the chair of that, so we're going to ask her about those things. We're going to talk about uh, her plans if she is to become seated in the United States Senate and uh, uh, talk a little bit about the competition. It's a crowded field. It's already a crowded field, by the way, and it's going to get more crowded. There are a host of people, a number, uh, that are uh, going to be running for this Rob Portman seat. So we're going to talk to Jane Timken about it. She, by the way, is already positioned the best in terms of finances. She's raised a ton of money already. She's got the uh, name recognition. She's got the support of the machine, the Republican machine in the state of Ohio as well. So maybe she's got an advantage others do not have. We'll talk about all of that coming up after the top of the hour news. Jane Timken will be with us on AM 1420, The Answer.